We're going to read Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but to lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Connection especially with that word miserable. Revelation 3, verse 17. We're going to read also Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism, pages 3 and 4 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 2, three questions and answers. Whence knowest thou thy misery out of the law of God. What doth the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great, the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? In no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. I'm sure, my dear fellow believers, I'm sure that most of you spent some time this morning in front of a mirror before you came to church. I don't know whether you liked what you saw in the mirror or didn't like it. I know that when I look in the mirror, I see all the warts and wrinkles and receding hairline and other things that are signs of getting older. Really doesn't matter what we saw in that mirror this morning. We're going to be looking into another mirror this morning. Whether you liked or didn't like what you saw when you were still at home and getting ready for church, I can tell you right at the beginning you are not going to like what you see in this mirror. This mirror is not only going to show you your face, but it's going to show you, as Matthew 22 says, something of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And what you see of those things is not going to be nice not going to find yourself beautiful when you look into the mirror that the word of or that the Heidelberg catechism identifies for us this morning but i want to tell you too right at the beginning of this morning's sermon that if you're going to see anything in that mirror Thing that matters, you have to have your eyes opened. Catechism implies that you do when it says, Whence knowest thou thy misery? 
takes it for granted that you've looked into that mirror, that you know that you are miserable, you've seen that in the mirror of the law of God, recognize that, recognize, in other words, your spiritual ugliness. You have to have your eyes opened to see that. Otherwise, otherwise you're like that man whom James describes in James chapter 1, verses 20, 22 and 23. No, 23 and 24. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, where he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. We must not be those kind of people. Look into the mirror of God's law and really don't see there what we ought to see or immediately forget what we saw there. So I call your attention this morning using that figure of a mirror to misery's mirror. We're going to look at what we see in that mirror, how we see, that's where I'm going to talk about the fact that we have to have our eyes opened to see anything in that mirror, and finally about the need for that mirror, the need for that mirror of the law of God. The Heidelberg Catechism identifies the law of God as the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, but I think you understand that that's a summary of the law. A summary, however, that gets at the very heart of the law and at the fact that God does not just require of us outward obedience, but says to us, my son, my daughter, give me thy heart, requires obedience that is both outward and inward, requires that we love the Lord not only with all our strength, but with all our heart and mind and soul as well. And of course, even the Ten Commandments are only a summary. A summary of all that God requires of us in his word. And whether, but whether you think in terms of those verses from Matthew 22 or of the Ten Commandments or of everything that's required by God in his word from Genesis to Revelation, whether you think of the law in terms of any of those, it is a mirror. And when you look into that mirror, you see yourself. See yourself as God sees you. Sees yourself, see yourself as you really are. See, as I said at the beginning, all the warts and wrinkles and imperfections. But that's not all you see. This is a rather unusual mirror, the mirror of the Word of God, mirror of the law of God as it's found in His Word. And it's a very unusual mirror because 
you don't only see yourself in that mirror. But you see in that mirror the face of God himself. Talking about the fact that the commandments, all the commands of God's word, are not just arbitrary requirements. We can be rather arbitrary in what we require of our children. But God isn't arbitrary. What he commands has to do, I hope you understand that, has to do with who he is. has to do with his holiness, his glory, his majesty. You see that already in the first commandment. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing may come before me. But why does he say that? Well, he says that because he is God alone. And when he says, have no other gods before me, then he says, speak and act in harmony with the fact that I am God alone. Don't let anything ever come before me or anyone. And that's the way it is with each of the commandments. Although that's not explicitly stated in the Ten Commandments, you can work that out for yourself. Thou shalt make unto thee no graven image. Why? Because as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, not with images of their own manufacture. So it is with all Ten Commandments, with everything that God requires. He's really saying then in those requirements, you must be like me. And that's the second thing we see in this mirror. Seeing as it were the face of God himself in that mirror that we call the law. We see what we ought to be. What God created us to be. We see in that mirror of the fact, if you will, that we should look exactly like him. As far as that's possible, of course, for a mere creature, we should look like him. Lord's Day 3 is going to be talking about that when it reminds us that we were created in the image of God, created to look like him. And when we look into the mirror of the law and see the face of God in that mirror, then we see what we ought to look like. And of course, what we see so tragically, so sadly, is the very opposite. We see in the mirror of the law not someone who looks like God, but, to put it very bluntly, someone who looks like the devil. Because that's what happened when we lost the image of God. 
didn't just lose something, but we became something as well. Became those who were like, as Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews, like their father below. They claimed to be Abraham's children. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't look like Abraham. You look like your father, the devil. But that's what we see in the mirror of God's law. Or to put it in other terms, that's going to come out in the next Lord's Day as well. We look into that mirror of the law of God, and we see the face of death. Death grins back at us out of that mirror. Spiritual death. See ourselves as those who fit the description of Ephesians 2 verse 1. You hath he quickened, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Or to put it another way, which is the same thing as spiritual death, we see our depravity, our total depravity, in that mirror of the law of God. Don't we? You and I are like the person who somehow or other looks into a mirror and sees not a true likeness of themselves, but somehow or other sees in that mirror what they imagine themselves to be or what they want to be. Like a woman whose whose body is riddled with the effects of drug use. Hollow-eyed, hollow-cheeked, stringy hair, dirty, and yet she looks into the mirror And she sees a beautiful young girl of 16 or 70, somehow or other. But that's because she's really got her eyes closed when she's she's looking into that mirror and is only looking at the back of her own eyelids and not seeing herself as she truly is. And the result is, of course, that she goes on and destroys herself as well with her drugs and with her evil living. We mustn't be like that. See ourselves in that mirror as we are. And the Heidelberg Catechism has some interesting things to say about that. First talks about or misery. You feel miserable? I'm not talking about being ill or suffering severe pain or something like that, but spiritually miserable? Is that why you came to church this morning? Probably wasn't for most of us. And yet that's the way the Heidelberg Catechism describes our depravity and sin. See in that mirror not only the fact that we do sin, the Heidelberg Catechism says, but that we are sinners. 
by nature. There's not just, if I may put it that way, when we see our spiritual face in that mirror, it's not just that there are some bruises, some warts, but it's the face of someone who is ugly right down to his heart. And you can understand then why the Word of God, when it talks about our sin and sinfulness, speaks... Not the, well, the Word of God does too, but the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of it as our misery. Imagine looking into a mirror and seeing that. Someone whose spiritual ugliness nothing can cover and nothing can fix. Miserable indeed. The Heidelberg Catechism talks too about, and that's its way of telling us that we really are much uglier spiritually than we tend to see or recognize or think talks about the fact that I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. You know what that means? That means that when I read in the newspaper the report of some horrendous crime, maybe the crimes of those Russian soldiers who are fighting in the Ukraine, and committing war crimes for which they may later have to stand trial or for which their superiors may have to stand trial. When I read of those things and say to myself, I'm thankful that I wouldn't do anything like that, that I'm not like that. We are dead wrong. Prone means that given the right circumstances and the opportunity, I could do those things and would do them. Doesn't mean that everyone commits every single possible sin. There's not the time in a lifetime to do that or the opportunity to do that. But it means that I am capable of it. Pro, pro. You see that? In the mirror, one who is pro by nature. And then that word hate. I think our reaction to that word hate in the Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer five is probably very similar to the reaction of your or my unbelieving neighbor. Go tell your unbelieving neighbor that he's a hater of God. Hater of others, he'd probably, probably punch you. I help others, help the widow lady across the street, blow the snow off her driveway in the winter, help her when I, at other times when she's having trouble with her car or something like that. I'm not a hater of my neighbor. And though I don't go to church, 
don't worship God? You shouldn't call me a hater of God either. I don't persecute you, my Christian neighbor. I don't persecute others. I don't even speak ill of them. Hater? What are you talking about? But what about you and I? You recognize yourself? See yourself? In that word? You will. If you understand what Jesus says in those verses from Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. All my feelings have to be directed by him. Everything I think has to be for his glory. Everything. And if it's not, you understand that? If it's not, it's hatred. He that is not for me, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind and with all his strength, he that is not for me, Jesus said, is against me. So it is. Pro, by nature, to hate God and my neighbor. And as far as the neighbor's concerned, what's true of God is true of him also. Envy. Malice. Nobody else sees them, of course. Anger. Foolish. Harbored. Anger. It's all hatred of the neighbor. That's what the law of God shows. Shows us especially in those words of Matthew 22. Which remind us that it is not. God does not just require some outward conformity. Perfect obedience, perfect love of him and of the neighbor in everything I do. And anything less is evidence of my depravity. The fact that I am by nature spiritually dead. Dead to God and to the love of God. Now there's something that needs to be said about that. Prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. There's another side to the believer. Thankfully. Then those words by nature, there's also what he is. We haven't come to that yet in the Heidelberg Catechism. But there's also what he is by grace. Grace is the exception. The only exception, you understand, to what we've been talking about. Talking about depravity. About being prone by nature to hate God and the neighbor. 
Grace is the only exception. But we won't get to that until the next Lord's Day, which asks the question, are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? And the answer then, that's where the gospel begins to shine in all of its glory in the Heidelberg Catechism. Indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's the only exception to what you see in that mirror. But the law doesn't show you that. It's the gospel that shows us what we are as those who are regenerated by the Spirit of God. As I said, however, going back to what the Catechism says about our depravity and sinfulness, you have to have your eyes opened to see that. And the great example of people who didn't have their eyes opened is in Revelation 3. members of the church of Laodicea. Church members. Not the world. But church members. Members of the church of the Laodiceans. Who sat, I would assume, under some kind of preaching of the Word of God, who'd had, perhaps did have, the opportunity to look into the mirror of God's Word. What did they see there? They saw people who were rich, spiritually, increased with goods, had need of nothing, never saw that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Never saw their depravity. I'm sure, as is so often the case, that they could tell you the proof texts for total depravity, they could explain the doctrine of total depravity and of man's sinfulness to you, but they had never taken that to heart, never seen it in themselves. Their attitude was the attitude of the Pharisee in the temple. Lord, I thank thee that I am not like this miserable public. self-righteous, always holding themselves to be just that much better than others and looking down on others for their sinfulness. When, of course, depravity means that as far as our natural condition is concerned. There isn't any difference. Not even any difference between me and the worst of mankind. Piously prating of the fact they would not do this or that when others were guilty of such horrible things. And on and on and on. Those were the people in Laodicea. Never really saw 
their own sinful condition. Never saw themselves. Word of God talks about that in Philippians 2. Because they could see their own hearts. as less than the least of man. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's not you, is it? For me, unable, because that's the problem. Unable, unwilling to see our own sinfulness and depravity. And that becomes evident, of course, too. When our sins are pointed out, we're immediately defensive. children do something wrong, then our attitude is not my children. And so on and on and on, just like the Laodiceans. It's the Spirit who has to open our eyes. And he does. That's implied in that very first question of the catechism. Whence knowest thou thy misery? You do know, don't you? Oh, not as you should. Never, ever, ever do I see myself as I ought. But by the gracious work of the Spirit of God, I do begin to see what I really am in God's sight. And that's why a Psalter number, like some of those we sang, rings true. And we sing it from our hearts as our own confession. I am prone to halt and stumble. Grief and sorrow dwell within. Shame and guilt my spirit humble. I am sorry for my sin. Not all the time, not as we should. By the work of the Spirit, Our eyes are open. Are they not? To look into the mirror of God's law and see who and what we are before God. You can tell a person, you know, whose eyes are opened. You can tell that not by looking at his eyes, but by looking at his knees and his chest. You know what I'm talking about? A person who's had his eyes opened by the Spirit to see what he ought to see in the mirror of the law of God has calluses on his knees and bruises on his chest calluses because he is forever on his knees before God. And bruises on his chest because he's like that publican in the temple who didn't even dare lift up his eyes to heaven. But whose confession was, God be merciful to me. The sinner.
That's the person whose eyes have been opened, forever sorrowing for his sins. And forever confessing them before the face of the heaven. And, and I leave you with that this morning. You can tell him also by watching his feet. and the direction of his feet because he is forever running to the only place that's left for him to run and that's the cross and the redemptive work of Christ. That's the person who's looked into the mirror of God's law and who has seen there himself as God sees him. Who knows that there is only one who can heal his spiritual ugliness And make him such that when he looks into that mirror, he sees not what he is by nature, but what he is by grace. But it's Christ, not the law, to which he goes. Because the law cannot change our ugliness. All my resolves to do better, all my efforts are vain as far as that great matter of healing my spiritual ugliness is concerned. There is only one, and that's Christ. Christ, first of all, by his death, who makes me by his death, by a miracle of grace, sinner that I am, attractive and acceptable to God himself, God whose face I see in the mirror of the law, and who also by his spirit begins that great work of grace, We call it regeneration and conversion and sanctification. That great work of grace through which I will finally be presented without spot or wrinkle in the company of the elect in life eternal. And so that mirror, every time I look into it, drives me to Christ. as one whose only hope is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Except for the cross of Christ. Except for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. I'm like those Laodiceans saying I'm rich and increased with goods have need of nothing and don't know that I'm wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked Christ says to you and to me as well as to those in Laodicea. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, 
and that thy, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God grant it that looking into the mirror of his holy law, seeing his glory there, seeing what we ought to be there, seeing what we are by nature there, We go to Christ and find in him and in the promises of the gospel what Lord's Day One calls our only comfort in life and death. God grant it. Amen. Father, we thank thee for what we have heard this morning preached and heard with much weakness and sin, we nevertheless do see our misery and are thankful that thou hast provided salvation and deliverance and eternal life and blessedness in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank thee too for the promise that someday we who are sinners by nature, miserable and wretched in our sinfulness, will someday shine as the sun in thy presence. We ask, Father, that that day may come quickly. In Jesus' name.